You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter Rodriguez, and you're listening to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Jamie Downey, director on the K-5 MyView Literacy Solution. Jamie, who's our special guest today? Thanks, Walter. I'm honored to have Dr. P. David Pearson on the show today. Dr. Pearson is an emeritus faculty member in the Graduate School of Education at the University of California, Berkeley, where he served as dean from 2001 to 2010. His current research focuses on literacy, history, and policy. He also holds an appointment as a professor of the graduate school and is the Evelyn Lewis Corey Emeritus Chair in Instructional Science. We are really honored that Dr. Pearson is an author on MyView Literacy, our newest K-5 solution. And I'm so grateful. Dr. Pearson, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Jamie, and um, it's a pleasure for me to be here, especially uh, in view of the uh, fact that it's uh, sponsored by Savas, and and I'm proud to be a member of My View Literacy. Thanks, Dr. Pearson, and you have such experience in the field of education. I was just talking with Walter about about studying you in college, and and you truly are a legend. Um, And as you think about your storied career, what are you most proud of? Well, I think the things I'm most proud of in this order are the fact that uh, I've been privileged to work with about 160 uh, doctoral students uh, who've uh, worked with me either as my uh, as uh, my personal advisee or as a, I was a member of their committee, and I've gotten I've I've helped to get them started on their careers, and it's really more the legacy that they and and their advisees and their advisees I'm into about six generations of uh, of folks who uh, can trace their legacy back to me in terms of getting involved in uh, literacy research and, and, and most important, not just literary research, but also teacher education and professional development. So it's really the tentacles that all of that, that community has in terms of spreading out into the field of reading and uh, helping uh, teachers, both uh, pre-service and in-service teachers, get a handle on how best to teach reading and help young kids uh, uh, g- learn the, the, the kinds of skills and strategies and dispositions they need to use reading uh, uh, to uh, improve their personal lives. I love that, using reading to improve their personal lives. You've written a lot about the impact that knowledge has on comprehension, but until kind of recently, there hasn't been as much attention paid to the impact that comprehension has on knowledge. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. You know, in education, uh, we often talk about the vicious cycle, the fact that some kids come to school and they they aren't motivated and they, and they don't learn, and uh, then the fact that they that they don't learn uh, simply uh, uh, keeps their achievement at a low level, and the, and they don't feel good about themselves, and that reduces their motivation to try, and uh, you know, it, it's a spiral downward. Uh, the the wonderful thing about the relationship with uh, knowledge and comprehension is that it's a virtuous cycle, not a vicious cycle. And it's virtuous in this sense. The more you know, the be- the easier it is to understand what you read. The easier it is to understand what you read, the more you can learn from what you read. And what you learn becomes knowledge that then is available for what? The very next cycle of reading. So, uh, it's knowledge begets comprehension, begets learning, begets knowledge, begets comprehension, begets learning, and on and on and on. 
And what we want to do with kids is to get them into that virtuous cycle and help them avoid that uh, vicious cycle of low achievement and low motivation. And we know that kids who like to read, read more and therefore become better readers. And so I think that's, you know, to your point, another virtuous cycle that, that you, um, that you mentioned. We forget that one of the most important facets of, of learning to read and teaching read is to make sure that kids have time to read. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, I'm all for good, solid skill and strategy instruction, but good, solid skill and strategy instruction, absent opportunity to read and motivation to read and learning what the benefits are of reading uh, is not going to get us there. Uh, it, it's sort of like I, I have this analogy that I use with teachers sometimes, and that is that if you send a bunch of kids off to a basketball camp or a swimming camp or something like that in the summer, and what the uh, what the the person who ran the camp told you is um, that, well, you know, we're going to practice layups and we're going to practice dribbling and we're going to practice our footwork for guarding and the like. And if you if you get all those to a certain level of mastery, then we'll have a scrimmage. We'll let you play the game. And you know what would happen? Those kids would stay there about three days because what do they all want to do? They want to play the game. And so, uh, you know, the skill and the strategy stuff is important because if you don't get that, then you won't play the game very well. But just because, but you don't have to wait forever. You just have to be good enough to play the game at a certain level in order to engage in it. And so, uh, and the same thing is true in reading. You, uh, we want to we wanna make sure kids acquire all the phonics and word recognition skills and the phonemic awareness and the fluency and the comprehension strategies and the like. But until and unless we allow them to play the game, uh, they're not going to get that much better. And it's in playing the game that... Uh, what's good about that? That shows you that reading matters, that there's some benefits from it, and that increases your motivation. And we know that motivation, self-efficacy, a sense of mastery that I can do this uh, is so important to sustaining uh, kids' growth as readers. So that's, again, part of that virtuous cycle. You you alluded a little bit, and I want to talk about you. Years ago, you wrote, you wrote a personal essay uh, entitled Life in the Radical Middle, and it spoke to your views about reading theory and practice. As we are facing the resurgence of the reading wars, the idea of living in the middle is even more relevant. Can you talk a little bit about the term radical middle and why you chose that? Well, I, I, I first encountered that phrase uh, when uh, I, was, um, I was actually a high school student. And I was a real fan of the cartoonist Jules Pfeiffer. Well, and we still see some Jules Pfeiffer cartoons, but he was a kind of a a, a satirical a political a cartoonist, and he characterized the politics of Dwight David Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, as being in the radical middle, and and I always and then when I got into teaching and when I got into particularly teaching reading and I learned about one side thinks we should teach, uh, one side thinks we should teach. Uh, uh, phonic skills and the other side thinks we should teach sight words. A decade later, is a one one side thinks it's it's all about skill instruction, and the other side thinks it's all about whole language, and that debate resurfaces about every decade or so in the field of reading. I I decided that you know what I learned from Pfeiffer applies here, 
If Eisenhower lived in the radical middle of politics, I can live in the radical middle of these uh, uh, endless recurring debates about uh, whether our curriculum should be uh, skill-centered or child-centered, whether it should uh, focus on meaning or whether it should focus on the code. And my response to it has always been, why do I have to choose? Why do I have to uh, make a choice between teaching skills and focusing on meaning? Why can't I do both of those things? And so my approach to curriculum has always been, you know, when a push comes to shove, you got to do it all. Uh, there aren't any shortcuts. If I just teach the phonics skills and I don't attend to motivation and meaning, you're not going to be a great reader. If all I do is attend to motivation and meaning and keep encouraging you uh, to read more and read better and the like, but I, I don't provide you with any scaffolding to help you uh, deal with the bumps along the way uh, of reading, uh, and, I, and I don't give you a, a, a set of fix-up strategies for uh, how you um, uh, mend things when uh, things aren't going the way you want them, then I, I've left you in, in an impossible situation. Uh, so I've always thought, yeah, that's where I am. I, I'm in. I'm. I'm not. I'm there not just because uh, of the uh, uh, to be balanced. Uh, that's not the point. Uh, the point is is that I'm there because, by and large, if you look at the research, it tells you that. If you look at the research on teaching uh, uh, the code, uh, there's there's a little bump for teaching the code. It helps you become a better uh, word recognizer and, and word reader and the like, but it doesn't necessarily get you to comprehension. If you look at the research on, on comprehension strategy instruction, you get a bump, and kids uh, can answer questions that they wouldn't, weren't, weren't able to answer before. And if you look at the research on just plain reading, you get a bump on that too. So I look at the research and I say, gosh, why do I have to make a choice? Why can't I have a curriculum in which all of those things are, are, are important? And as a matter of fact, if you look at the developmental research on how kids develop as readers from like age four to eight or nine, one of the interesting things is that things like it, it, things inside the word, like phonemic awareness, being able to hear the separate sounds in the word and the letter sound knowledge um, and uh, decoding strategies, those explain a lot of the growth in, uh, in, uh, in reading achievement as measured by, say, a standardized test in grades K, 1, and, in, and into 2. And then into 2 and 3, and as you get into grades 4 and 5, it shifts. And you know what factors become more important in predicting your reading achievement? It's language and knowledge that become the, the more important factors. So you have this kind of shift over time. This doesn't mean that you can just teach the code in kindergarten and first grade and wait to teach language and knowledge in grades four and five. That's not what it says. As a matter of fact, there is some evidence that teaching, um, for example, when you teach kids a meaning vocabulary, you actually get a little bump in their phonics achievement, which is interesting. And then like implying that there are some reciprocal relations amongst the skill and skill infrastructures that kids are developing. But the point is, is that the research keeps pointing out that uh, each of these elements uh, is important. And I don't want to be a part of a curriculum development process that doesn't privilege all of those things. So my motto is you got to do it all. I love it. Well said. Well said. I want to I shift a little bit. You co-chaired 
the committee conducting the evaluation on the Reading for Understanding initiative. And you all recently released the Reaping the Rewards of the Reading for Understanding initiative. While it would definitely be difficult to summarize the entire project in a podcast, uh, can you give us the overview of the rewards as you found them to be? Sure. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I am very proud to uh, announce that the International Literacy Association, uh, the uh, one of the uh, articles in the next issue of um, Literacy Today, which is their um, online uh, uh, kind of like a newsletter that they send out every month, is going to feature an, an article uh, by our whole team uh, that uh, summarizes uh, the uh, uh kind of like the executive summary uh, of, uh, of that piece. And basically, uh, 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 you know, it's so much more complicated than I can, uh, than I can uh, summarize in, in, in this um, event. But uh, we came up with three headlines, and I believe those three headlines. And we've already implicitly uh, talked about at least two of them. The first one is, is that um, knowledge matters. Uh, and it matters in, 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 in both the ways that we talked about. That is, uh, we learn what's new from reading in terms of what we already know. And we what we do is we read and we say to ourselves, oh yeah, I see where that fits. And we find a home for the new information. And then by virtue of that, we now know more than we used to more. No, uh, the, the beauty about reading is that um, you actually learn from it and you gather knowledge about the world and how things in the world work and how, you know, plants grow and how um, uh, <laughs> uh, people um, uh, learn to get along or not get along <laughs> and and all those kinds of things. And, and so there's actual knowledge growth. But the other thing that we know is the other side of that, and that is the impact. So, so now it's what we said earlier, knowledge begets comprehension begets knowledge. Now that's not a new finding. We've, we've known that for a long time, but what I think we learned in the reading for understanding uh, uh, business is first of all, just how important it is. And secondly, it's important at every level from kindergarten all the way through high school. Uh, you, you know, you, you get this continuous sort of interactive growth uh, uh, between knowledge and comprehension. And the other thing we've learned in as as you get into middle and high school is that the the components of knowledge expand. So it's not just knowledge about how the world works. It's knowledge about how people uh, think and argue in history or science or literature. Uh, that there's a that there's a, a way of talking and a way of writing. And and, and if you come to understand uh, the knowledge about how um, texts and how um, uh, Arguments are framed in in, in those uh, disciplines. Uh, you'll understand what you read better. Uh, it, it's also and knowledge is not just that. Knowledge is also uh, knowledge of not only uh, content but knowledge of uh, skills and strategies and when and how to use them. There's that sort of procedural knowledge. What do I do when you know comprehension? If it works right. Is a bunch of clicks. You you feel the click of comprehension, and you say, "Oh yeah, I get it. I got. I'm, I'm reading along there." And every once in a while, you get a clunk, and uh, and the clunks uh, are what provoke what I call, or what a, the field calls, uh, procedural knowledge. That is, I've got a little routine uh, for addressing the the clunk that I've encountered, and so and and it also includes knowledge of why and when you do certain things in reading. When you when do you try to summarize? 
When do you look for a main idea? When do you look for a cause-effect relationships uh, and what prompted a character to act in a certain way and things like that? So, so, so knowledge has, uh, I think, one of the real uh, insights from, uh, from the uh, uh, Reading for Understanding work is that uh, knowledge has a complex infrastructure, and it's not just knowing more about frogs and toads. Okay, it, it's that, but it's also a lot of other things, too. So first thing is knowledge matters. The second thing I think we learned is that language matters. That, that is that it, it's no accident that, that um, text is a repository of language, right? Text is a way of representing language. Talk is a way of representing language. And, 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 and those are, 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 are uh, truly uh, uh, important. Uh, and the, the more you learn about how language works, uh, the better you understand. And so, uh, so the, at, at, at the primary level, when you're just getting started, it's sort of everyday talk and everyday language about what drives stories and things like that. And if you can learn also not only the language of everyday talk, but also the language of textbooks and the language of, um, of narratives and, and, uh, informational texts, if you can learn how those structures of language work, uh, then, uh, you're ahead of the game and, and you're going to understand better. So attention, uh, to language early on and then continuing is, is important. And what happens in, in middle and, and high school? Well, the role of language becomes even more important because now you've got what I referred to earlier, the way they talk in history and the way they talk in science and the way that that authors uh, of novels and, and stories, the way that they weave things together and, and, and understanding of, of how those, what we call discourse structures work, and the impact that those have uh, on uh, on um, uh, uh, both comprehension and composition are really important. Probably the biggest thing to take out of the last ten or twelve years of uh, of literacy curriculum is the importance of uh, explanation and argument. You know, there's been a big push because of the Common Core standards and other state standards on helping kids understand how uh, how people uh, construct. How people comprehend, construct, and critique arguments. And, and it's that triad that's really important. You've got to be able to comprehend arguments that other people make. You gotta be able to uh, uh you gotta be able to critique the arguments that authors that make and that uh, that your colleagues present in your class, and you gotta be able to construct your own arguments uh when when you're putting forth your, your own point of view in a report and stuff like that. And uh, I think we learned a lot. Uh, you know, about uh, the role of language and the role of academic, what people now call academic language or academic discourse, that really becomes important in like from grade six or seven all the way up through high school. Uh, and the third thing we learned is that uh, comprehension is an essentially cultural phenomenon. And that is, and it's cultural in, in two senses. First of all, you create as a teacher, a classroom culture. And in that culture of the classroom, uh, kids learn how to collaborate. And if they learn how to collaborate and uh, work with one another uh, and learn from one another, then you're not limited to one teacher in the classroom. You're, you you have, you know, 25 or 30, or in the days of COVID, three or four or six uh, 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 teachers in the classroom are uh, people to learn from, I suppose, over Zoom calls like we're doing. At any rate, so so all that's uh, 
that 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 culture that you establish inside the classroom with the expectation that we're going to engage in big ideas, think big thoughts, uh, uh, challenge one another, all those kinds of things uh, are, are really important. And culture comes in in another way, too. We also know that when teachers work in a school setting in which they're encouraged to create these same kinds of collaborative and challenging uh, interactions with their peers, uh, that we that they all grow as teachers, uh, and and that it's that it's that combination of support and challenge uh, at both the kid classroom level and at the teacher community learning level uh, that really matters. So um, so I think that those are the the, the three big takeaways. Uh, that that uh, we got out of it. Uh, we also learned, by the way, uh, you know, in, in all this stuff about the science of reading uh, that's been going on around the country, uh, people talk about the simple view of reading. And the simple view of reading is that reading comprehension equals decoding times listening comprehension or language comprehension. Elsie can refer to either of those depending on who whose version of the simple beer you're reading. I think one of the things that we learned uh, in in all of this work, uh, you know, with little kids starting at age five all the way through high school, we learned uh, uh, that the simple view of reading is not quite as simple as, as you think it is at first blush. That it's complicated by the kinds of things that we've been talking about this morning, particularly the relationship uh, between, um, you know, the additive and multiplicative uh, layers of decoding and, 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 uh, and, and language and, and the like. And, and I would add, you know, one of the things I've never understood about the simple view of reading is why knowledge isn't more prominent in it. And I think it's because the people who put forward the simple view of reading just wanted like two or three big buckets to put things in. And I think that if you ask yourself where's knowledge, it's probably embedded inside language comprehension, right? Because that's <clears throat> most languaging about reading consists of talking about things that we would call representations of knowledge, right? So I guess that's where it is. But we, we also learned a lot about uh, what makes uh, that simple view tick and how it's driven by uh, uh, a few more forces than just the ones that are that are portrayed in that formula of RC equals D times LC. Yeah, that formula is definitely one that is getting a lot of uh, getting a lot of attention lately. So it's very interesting and, and insightful to hear you um, speak to it and, and to read about it in in that seminal study. Let me say one more thing as long as we're talking about the science of reading, and that is that uh, I'm all I've always been. Um, a strong advocate of, uh, of uh, uh, science and the use of evidence in decision-making and uh, the like. So I'm always going to push uh, for our uh, basing our, our practices on the very best uh, 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 knowledge and evidence that we have uh, to uh, uh, frame uh, 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 teaching and learning and curriculum in our schools. Uh, but uh, for some reason, the phrase, the science of reading, has been, it's gotten pigeonholed. It's about teaching phonics and phonemic awareness and early reading. Well, you know, there's a lot of other parts to reading too. 
And to think that the science of reading is only about uh, the simple view and that relationship between decoding and comprehension, I think does a disservice to the term science of reading. Uh, the science of reading also applies to more complex process. It applies to what happens to older kids. It certainly accounts for what uh, what happens when uh, kids don't make the kind of development that they that we like them to make. But to think that it's captured by this that relationship between decoding and, 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 and comprehension early on, I think does the term a disservice. Uh, I wanted to apply more broadly to the entire uh, uh, range of, uh, of developing uh, reading uh, uh, skill and prowess. So that's where I stand on that issue, in case you wanted to know. I very, very well said, Dr. Pearson. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us today. Um, Very, very grateful. Yeah, and thank you for having me. It's been a real treat. Walter, back to you. That's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to both Dr. P. David Pearson and Jamie Downey for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. This podcast is presented by Savas Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savas.com today. Learn with us.